people always say that when there's a, a winning team that keeps winning, people begin to do what? Root against them. So that's the thing I think people are afraid of is capturing a dream, having to learn how to exist in it, and to know what it feels like for people to root against you and still ascend and get better. Episode 85 with actor, producer, and screenwriter Lena Waithe. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Kalmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of Black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today, we have the privilege of sitting down with my friend and sister, the incomparable Lena Waithe, a trailblazing writer, producer, and actress who has reshaped the landscape of film and television. In this conversation, Lena takes us on a journey through her own history, tracing her roots back to her grandmother's brave journey from Arkansas to Chicago in search of a better life. Lena reflects on the profound impact of the strong Black women who have defied societal expectations and helped shape her own identity. As we explore the concept of identity, Lena discusses her unique perspective on what it means to be ladylike and how she's embraced her own individuality, even if it means not conforming to society's standards. We explore the importance of curiosity over judgment and the value of deep listening when in conversations with others to better understand their perspectives. We also get a glimpse into Lena's creative process and the genesis of her powerful film, Queen and Slim. Lena shares how a chance encounter and a compelling premise led her to craft a story that not only challenges conventions, but also serves as a cultural touchstone, examining the complexities of Black identity and resilience. And for me, now that I'm out of school and back on these streets, it has been such a joy to run into you all on the subways and at events, waxing poetic about your favorite episodes. What did Janet say? It's all for you? Well, Indeed, it is. Be sure to share some of your thoughts on today's episode with us over on Twitter and Instagram at Black Imagination. And this and more content is over on IBI Digital at blackimagination.org. And, you know, this isn't a volunteer organization. We like to pay our people. So if you're into what we're into, be sure to click on that support link down in the show notes. Now, stay tuned as Lena Waithe shares her insights on self-transformation, embracing the naysayers, quote unquote, haters, and the power of community in shaping her journey from Chicago to the wood. That's Hollywood, of course. Oh my goodness. Well, you know what, Lena, (laughs) you have no idea how ready I am for this conversation. I'm ready to. I am so ready to hop in here. But like right before I pressed record, you were speaking about what you experienced yesterday, which for those listening, um, that would be Labor Day 2023. And more importantly, Mm -hmm. September 4th, which 
is another type of national holiday, which is the birthday <laughs> of <laughs> of our Lord and Savior Beyonce. <laughs> it is a national holiday. <laughs> I mean, get on the books. But you know, coming fresh off of just witnessing that, yeah. Um, you know, I've been looking at it vicariously through the interwebs because, you know, mm-hmm. I got a little social anxiety. But mm-hmm. like, you know, for you, what what is it making you think of? I think for me, <clears throat> witnessing her in all her glory and, 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 and existing inside of her purpose, which is something <clears throat> it's beautiful to witness because everybody isn't able to do it. So it is important important for us to witness that. And we're witnessing it in her at the highest level. And I think when I was looking at her at one point last night, because I didn't get to see Michael Jackson live. I didn't get to see Michael Jackson. I got to see Janet. I've seen Janet a couple of times. Um, Diana Ross, I've seen in concert. I got to see Prince a bunch. And I got to see Whitney and learn doing my love is your love tour. Work. So I got to see Whitney and Prince in my city and, and Janet in Chicago. Like being in Chicago, being very grateful that's a city that, you know, artists want to come perform. And to see Beyonce last night, it was such a blessing and such a gift to be alive at this time in which she's alive doing the work that she's doing. Because I don't think people, it's interesting because she also said last night that she was grateful to be alive. Because a lot of people who are in their purpose in that way do not live long. They don't make Mm. it. So to see Diana Ross also to step out and sing happy birthday to her and to embrace her because Diana Ross also made sure that she made it. So last night I was grateful to be alive. At the same time, Beyonce is alive while, while Diana Ross is still alive because it's something that I don't think we think about and it is something we can't get back. Mm. That's how I'm feeling. Whew, okay, there's a lot. There's a yeah. lot to unpack there, but know, you know, let's 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 start at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Who would you like to dedicate today's conversation to? Wow. I want to dedicate it to the people that. are afraid to lose the people around them in order to become who they're supposed to be. Those are the people I see most. They don't want to let go of those that love them, that birthed them, that they grew up with, that they feel responsible for that they feel like if they leave, they won't have nobody. And so they aren't able to ascend 
to where they're supposed to go. They'd rather be there for them and bring them comfort and peace rather than having their own. That's who I really want to dedicate this to. Well, you know what? Here's here's to those who just need a little extra dose of courage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's real, right? Like that is, that is real, you know, as fuck. Um, You know, you said something about um, Beyonce and this, I think ties into this dedication, but you spoke Mm -hmm. about, you know, not everyone being able to live into their purpose, Mm -hmm. not being able to ascend. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned not being able to let go of, you know, maybe some of some people in your camp that yeah. uh, you need to in order to to make that rise. But yeah. you know, you've, girl. Okay, first of all, I <laughs> I need to preface this whole conversation by saying <laughs> that I don't watch TV. <laughs> That's fair. I have I have not owned a television in eighteen years. But, this is why you're you, though. That's what makes you you. This is why you're talking about imagination. Okay. But in in research, I did, you know, I did subscribe to a couple of things. You know, I did watch a couple of things. So I know. You, I mean, wh- one thing, you know, I think one thing about our relationship is, and I think with many of my friends, is like, mm-hmm. it's about the person, right? Like, it's not, I mean, yes, yeah. we are out here, we are active, we are doing these things, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, about this connection. So it's actually been really beautiful to like go back and see, like, oh, <laughs> well, excuse me. Um, <laughs> but I do want to say, like, I, girl, I, I can't give episode rundowns to the shy, like, you know, I'm under, I, I know what it is. Um, yeah. But I just wanted to say that. But, Kind of circling back, like, you know, you've encountered a lot. You exist in a lot of spaces. You work Mm -hmm. with a lot of people. You've hired a lot of people. What, Mm -hmm. outside of not being able to let go of the people you need to let go of, what are some of the other ways in which you see people kind of self-sabotage? Or why is not everyone able to ascend? I mean, not everyone has to become Beyonce, no, but we no. all have, you know, a purpose. What? Yes. Um, that's such a good question. I think a thing, it is us. We are our own self-saboteurs. That, it's, it's, it's always our own doing. Yes, there are different hurdles and um, things that some of us, especially those of us who are othered in different ways, will encounter. Um, more so than other, our, our counterparts that are more privileged just in, in terms of their how they were born, the families in which they were born into. But what a big thing I noticed is that the reason why I think a lot of people are afraid to capture a dream is because they have to transform. <laughs> You're no longer the same person once you've scratched something off your dream list. So what happens is sometimes people scratch that, that thing off and they're like, oh, I did that thing that I've been chasing my whole life. Okay, but now what? Or now who am I? Now, now that I've done that, 
I don't now I don't know what my new purpose is. And so sometimes it becomes easier to chase a thing than to catch it. Because once you caught it, now you have to exist in it. And you have to dream another dream. You have to maintain. And and what I've noticed too is that once you've done something really well, it becomes expected for you to continue to do that thing very well. And nothing, and it's so funny, people always say that when there's a, a winning team that keeps winning, people begin to do what? Root against them. So that's the thing I think people are afraid of is capturing a dream, having to learn how to exist in it, and to know what it feels like for people to root against you and still ascend and get better. People don't want to be rooted against. I, I am rooted against. But I'm also rooted for. And what the peace I have to have is knowing that both our people are necessary. Those that do not wish me well are almost just as significant to my story as those that do. Mm, how so? It gives me, it reminds me that I'm human. And it reminds me that I'm not doing this to be light. <laughs> um, and I'm not, I don't need the naysayers to change their minds. That is not a need or a want or a desire. For me, it's about listening when God whispers. That's my job. That's really what our instincts are. So I have to, to not be worried about much else. I can't. In order to exist in your purpose, you also have to really, you got to silence the noise. You got to really zone in to what you're here to do. So you don't have a lot of time or bandwidth or energy to make people think, you know, highly of you or to, to, to make them accept you. You know, I don't have the energy to do that. The work that I put out is a reflection of who I am. It is a, these are time capsules of me learning and me growing and me evolving. And when I'm gone, that work will live. The work lives even when I'm dead. When I'm gone, what are they going to do? They're going to run a Netflix and put on the Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> Maybe some will go watch Ready Player One. Maybe some will go watch Queen and Slim. Maybe some will go binge the shy. That's what they will have to remember me by. So I want to make sure that those memories are accurate. <laughs> mm. So... I'm going to, you know, I got so many questions, but I just want to 
double tap here, you know, mm-hmm. for yourself, right? I mean, coming from Chicago, mm-hmm. um, you know, going to Columbia College yeah. in Chicago, yeah. um, you know, sounds like you really knew early on what you wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an incredible, it's just phenomenal really to see that but in in that process from columbia you know to now like was there a pivotal moment or what were those pivotal moments that forced you to realize that you had to transform Hmm. i think it was in college you know i took a a course in television writing sitcom writing (laughs) And I was taught by Michael, Mike Fry, who he was famous at Columbia College because he had written on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know, he was an intern at the Cosby Show. So we were like, he's done it. Like, he's been out there in L.A. And he came back to teach us the ways. <clears throat> and so I got in his class. He only had 12 slots. So I had to make sure all my payments was up to date so I could register early. <laughs> and so my mom and everyone, they were, I was like, y'all, I got to get in this man's class. And he's still in my life to this day, my professor. Amazing. Um, so I'm really grateful. But <clears throat> so we, we, at the end of the class, had to write a spec script. You know, that was the, over the course of the class, you write a spec script. And a spec script, for those that don't know, is, is like you, you write for an existing television show. Um, you write an episode as if you're in the room, you know? And so it's a way for people to see if you can mimic the voice of a show. Because that's really what you're doing as a television writer. You're trying to get staff on the show. And you're trying to mimic the voice of whoever's show it is. And so I picked Girlfriends. To, to spec because that was you know and so he was like okay and so um i wish i could remember my a and b stories i mean he, he might be able to remember it but i threw everything i had into it and i worked really hard i still remember a lot of the things he told me in that class i think a big lesson i got from him was that you know and also i learned this too in watching friends and just studying listening to commentaries of tv shows in every scene both characters have to have opposing points of view Period. No two. And the thing I sometimes see in movies and stuff, you see characters in scenes that agree. That is not a scene. <laughs> a scene is when two people are on opposite sides. One person has to st- want to stay in the room, one person has to want to leave the room. You know what I mean? And so I remember those, those things and just remembering that. And so at the end of the class, he said, look, when he was passing out, giving our papers back with our grades on it, our scripts, he said, I do not give A's folks. So don't be upset if you didn't get an A on your script. That's just not what I do. Very few people get A's. It's not that kind of party in here. So before I pass these out, just just prepare your hearts, okay, for that. And so, black guy, by the way, black man with locks and everything. So I was like, all right, all right, fair. You know, but I was like, all right, I'll, you know. So I get my my script back, and it has an A on it. It gave me an A. And I walked up to him afterward because I was saying goodbye. It was the last class. And I was like, thank you. And he, and he winked at me. And he said, get out of here. Go. Um, and he was telling me to go do the semester in L.A., you know, which is something that Columbia College does for certain students where you can come spend your, a semester of college in Los Angeles on a lot. And so... I did. It was a big, a big thing. I, I, I applied for the semester in LA. I got in and that was another transformative moment. It was like him giving me that handshake, that wink, that grade. It was saying something to me of like, oh, this person that knows 
a lot, thinks I have something. And that's a very important part, I think, of anyone's journey when you're in, trying to figure out if you're on the right path. Sometimes you need somebody to say, yeah, you are, you're on it. And I've been grateful to do that for some people in my own life now to say like, yeah, you got a voice, you have something, keep going, keep pushing. Um, so I know what that feels like. And so I was very grateful for that. And then the semester in LA really changed me. I came to Los Angeles and I was here and living with another cop, someone who was at Columbia and we were doing these classes. We we're going to the Radford lot every day and, you know, learning and listening to people. We had speakers come in and, and then sure enough, fast forward, my first job in television as an assistant to the executive showrunner, to the showrunner was Girlfriends. So I got to meet Mara and Regina Hicks and Mark Alton Brown and Dee Duke and Tracy Ellis Ross. And I was just like, I always say I never went to an HBCU because I went to Columbia College, but working at Girlfriends was like my HBCU experience. Because <laughs> everybody came in dressed, fly, cool. And it would be what would ultimately be their final season because in season eight was when I came to work there. I was flying high and then the strike hit. 2007, 2008. So before I was in the guild, I experienced a strike. And that show did not come back. Girlfriends didn't return after that strike. So I got my real dose of like, oh, I'm working at Girlfriends. This is my dream job. And then there was a strike. And then Girlfriends didn't come back. And during that break, I was like trying to figure out ways to make money. And Mara Brock uh, I got an assist, I got a call from her assistant, Claire Brown at the time, who was like, yo, her friend, her best friend is in post on her movie and she needs an assistant and Mara recommended you. So go be over there tomorrow and don't be late. And that was Gina Prince Bythewood who was doing The Secret Life of Bees at the time. And so I went to go work for her. So that was a transformative moment too because I walked into that house and my whole life changed. Gina and Reggie, I was there for like two years. And, and then Gina was like, hey, I got another friend who's directing her first feature and she needs some support. And I think you'd be great. I said, who was your friend? Ava DuVernay. So I was a PA for her first film, her directorial debut, I Will Follow, um, her first narrative film. So then I worked for Ava, transformed again. Ava, like, I saw, I was on the set watching her pay for this movie, hustling, bustling. Now she's in Venice right now, about to debut, you know, her film, you know, inspired by the book cast, you know. Um, so I, because I was so clear and in it, I was, God put me in spaces with, you know, I, I call them the three, you know, it's like the three fairy godmothers or the three angels, you know, Mara, Gina, and Ava in that order. You, it's just, that to me is almost such, it's just as great as any accomplishments I've had post working for them. If I only worked for those three women, that would be a really great thing, you know, but because yeah. I really studied and took notes and paid attention to things that they did and how they worked and how they moved, they're all so strategic they're all very specific. They all think ahead. And so those are all things that I really wanted to adopt because I was so, I was just like, I was going to be a great television writer. I was so focused on that. And I think what I learned from them is that like, you can't just be good at the thing that you want to do. You got to be good at the things that surround it. Because Dennis Rodman said something dope. Dennis Rodman was like, I would play basketball for free. I want y'all to pay me to do the other stuff I have to do around it. Facts. You feel me? So yeah, so those are, I, I, we've had to transform a lot, but it's really more me growing into the next chapter, the next phase. It's like when Steven Spielberg cast me in my first film, you know, Aziz Ansari cast me in, in Master of None, uh, obviously the Thanksgiving episode, Queen of Slim. These are, I'm not the same. I, I, after those things, you know, 
I have to grow. I have to grow into myself to be able to stand in these moments. And, and in, in that growth, I lose people. I gain more naysayers, but I become more of who I am supposed to be. Mm. Whew, okay, I want to just unpack that just a little bit and then we'll go sure. forward. But just because you dropped so many things that I think are so important. I mean, we opened this conversation just talking about what what are the conditions required for people in order to grow or ascend right into their purpose. And I think one thing that was really important that you mentioned was your your teacher, Professor Fry. Like underneath yes. that was somebody who saw you. Yes. Yes. And it's something that I I encounter a lot, particularly now, um, when you know I meet different individuals and I find like I start asking them questions. I start asking them questions yeah. about their dream. Like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And it's so interesting. So one, many people don't know what that is. Mm, mm. Or two, it's sometimes the first time someone's actually asked them that. Say that. Meaning, particularly in our communities, right? Which what it shows me is for every time somebody maybe saw me, like even from elementary school, right? My principal pulling me aside and saying like, I think you're really talented, but your grades are slipping and I don't want you to... Like for every person that said that to me, I know there were 25, 30 students in the classroom that he didn't speak to. That's real. And so it's something that I'm always, I'm always asking people, right? I'm always asking like, what is it that you want to do? And then helping them figure out the next, the next logical step from where yes. they are, from That's where the- you are, right? Like whatever the next step is. And for you, you know, with your dream, that next step was, was going to college, right? Doing whatever you needed to do to get in this class, not knowing what was going to happen, right? With this teacher, the A, right? But then not only that, that you believed him. Yes. And that was another thing, right? Because the universe so many times, and I'm I'm just preaching to myself here at this moment. No, you're preaching to me too. Like, will show you the very thing you asked for, and then you reject it. Because you say, Mm. I'm not that person. I'm not good enough for, right? But it's the very thing, right? It's the very next thing. And so it's that constant tension, that constant like growth um, required. Because I remember I was in, um, it was COVID, it was COVID. And I had my, my apartment here, I had my studio in the Bronx, like whatever. And it's yeah. one you. I mean, you know, it's tough to manage multiple spaces, right? Like yes. you're like, wait, where is my shit? Is it? A, wait, okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> but I realized that, and over the, over the years, my internet here was slow, right? Like it was just slow. Like I was calling Spectrum. I was like, what's going on? Like for years, for years, I'm like, why is my shit so slow? Like this is a mess. It wasn't until I was still enough, right, in COVID, and I was here, right. I was locked inside my apartment. Oh, I yeah. realized that the equipment that I was using my Apple AirPort or whatever was 10 years old. It never even occurred to me that it was the equipment, you know, yes, I got the new modem and whatever, but it was the equipment. And that tech, you know, technology has shifted so much in the last 10 years, obviously. Yeah. 
And it was it was this other realization that I needed to get up to speed. I was actually blocking my own throttle, right? Like I was I was blocking what wow. was trying to come through because I was using outdated equipment. I was wow. still trying to work with something that I had 10 years ago. That's deep. And That's that deep. was like that's baby so when i tell you that wore me out i was like nigga come Yeesh. on like you know you have to get up to speed you have to get yeah. up to speed with who you have become technology isn't the only thing that's advancing come exponentially yes. you know you are too yes and we yes. can't use old tools anyway let me get off of this no, I, 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 I receive <laughs> that we're saying the same thing yeah. um but like so let's 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 go back to chicago uh yeah Always. Talk to us a bit about young Lena and this environment that, you know, what were the things you saw, the experiences that you had that allowed you to zero in on film, writing, you know, entertainment? Yeah. You know, I'm, I always, what I'm grateful for about being from Chicago is that I actually feel like I come from more of a community than a big mm. city. And that's why I think when people watch The Shy, they're getting my vision of it, which is more communal. And, uh, and that's because I grew up in a neighborhood that was integrated by my grandmother, my grandparents, um, and many of the other elderly Black folks that were living in that neighborhood. They had become elderly at that point by the time I was born. But um, I lived in a three-generation house. Because my mom, after divorcing my dad when I was two, we had to move back to the house that she grew up in, living with my grandmother. And so obviously my sister and I were in that house. So I always say I got to grow up in the house that my mother grew up in, mm. which is a very special thing, I think, because her history is in those walls. And now so is mine and my sister's. And, you know, we, my sister and I shared a room that my mother and my aunt shared. As kids. Oh, wow. You know, like that was, you know, it was, it, you know, that room, two beds in there, the room is still. And so it was, it was really crazy for my grandmother living in a house like, oh, yeah, I remember when your mom in there. Now she done had two girls and now y'all in there. So and my grandmother, I spent a lot of time with her, my maternal grandmother, because I've been a single mom working all the time. That's what goes on. But my neighbors would come to the house. They were pot, my, you know, potluck. And then, you know, uh, they would have these like, you know, neighborhood watch meetings in the house, you know, like block club <laughs> meetings and things like that. And so, and my grandmother would play poker and she played, she bowled, she traveled. And so this is the person who was helping to raise me. She was from Arkansas, moved to Chicago when she was 17. Um, Wait, where in Arkansas? Oh man, I, I got my, my map over here, but like, yeah. but no, she's a, my she's maternal a, grandmother's from Arkansas as well, from Pine Bluff. Oh, okay. That, see, because I did my finding your roots with Henry, Dr. Henry Louis Gates. So well, he don't get really into like, it. You don't get into it. We're probably cousins. We're probably cousins. Um, <laughs> you're like, hold up. Oh, my God. So, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, exactly. It would. Um, so that to me is really my foundation, you know, being in this neighborhood. And I, so I grew up with kids that were the children of the people that my mom, you know, grew up with. So it was very communal and I like like I grew up with a Brandon there was a Kugi in my neighborhood you know there was a Kevin so these are all these names like came into the shows because it was a way of me paying homage to 
my city and the city that made me and birthed me and grew me so much. And but I spent a lot of time outside playing and, you know, the street lights coming on was the was your curfew. Like I have all those sort of old school things because I'm an 80s baby. So we still held on to a lot of that stuff, you know, and I'm really grateful for it. But also I spent a lot of time watching TV with my grandmother. So watching a lot of old shows like Hunter, you know, Matlock. <laughs> We watch girlfriend, uh, girlfriend, Golden Girls together. I would watch girlfriends later, but you know, but um, but then you know, I would also watch the things that were happening. I watch a different world and Family Matters and Fresh Prince and things like that. So I was really just 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 drowning in so much television at that time and being inspired by it. But also because we didn't have DVR, you didn't have TiVo. It was it was a communal event to watch TV. So I remember we would always watch TV in my grandmother's room. My my grandma had the TV. The TV was in her room. So you know we didn't watch TV in the living room. She would sit on her bed. I would sit at the foot of her bed. My mom would sit in the chair across from her bed. People would stand against her dresser. You know, and we that's where we would watch TV. So that's those are my early memories. Sitting on her carpet, very close to the television, the closest to the television, and it would be a time we would all gather and we would all be quiet. <laughs> and we would all just be together. So I think of TV as communal. And so the fact that the shy has become this communal thing that is weekly that people watch and talk about. I was I was at uh, backstage last night with Beyonce concert. I was talking to an amazing young lady, and she was telling me about her mother recently passing away. And she said that your show, The Shy, something we did together. We watched that show together. And I said that that just really warms my heart and my spirit and my soul and it means so much and I was I hugged her and and we embraced and and she said I don't want to make it like sad or whatever I said no I said this is a blessing you know I said thank you for sharing this with me because oftentimes we don't always get to touch the people that we've touched in some way yeah so for me it is very it is very divine I don't believe in coincidences I don't believe in you know accidents. I think that everything is a divine order. I think that our steps are ordered. And so not I think that I was taught that I went to Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, a big old church run by a black woman, Johnny Coleman. And so and her name was mentioned because Henry Louis Gates did a book about the black church, which I read after talking to him. He said, I got this book coming out about the black church. And so I read it and I was very fascinated by it and the history of it. And, and she gets mentioned in his book. And so I emailed him and I told him, I said, you mentioned my pastor, Johnny Coleman. He said, that makes so much sense. So my, my, my grandmother, my mother, my aunt, myself, my older sister, I'm the youngest of like my grandmother, my mother, my mom, my aunt, my sister, and I sitting at a church run by a black woman in Chicago. And it's a mega church too. So these are, these are the things that help make me who I am. Like seeing Johnny Coleman at Christ Universal Temple, on Sundays, who am I not to be a leader? You know, who am I not to allow my grandmother to leave in Arkansas at 17 looking for a better life in Chicago? How can I not join them covenant? Even though we got kicked in the chest for it, I know about the history of my family. I'm from Chicago because my grandmother left us out. That's what I tell people. <laughs> it's like, that's where my mom and I are from there. <laughs> We, we really might have been, if she didn't leave, maybe I'd be in Arkansas. My life would look very different. Absolutely. So that's and the thing. You know, I think that that to me 
these things make me who I am. All these, and a lot of it, you know, a lot of black women really showing up. Not that I didn't have, you know, some men in my life for sure, but I really saw black women defy what society said a black woman was supposed to be. And so I think that's something that was just, it just comes innate. I'm, I, I do not have to be, it's interesting. There's a term, ladylike, <laughs> right? So <laughs> I say I am not very ladylike by society's standards. And so sometimes that means you will not always be liked. And that's also okay because I don't do things the way ladies are supposed to do them, quote unquote, you know, by society standards. And that's because I've seen it is it is in my DNA. I've witnessed too many amazing black women show up in the world in the way that made sense for them. And so and even that's why I was a thing with me coming out to my mom, her it being very not the easiest conversation, but in essence, I am a product of everything you have taught me. You've told me to be myself. And I happen to be my queer self, which probably wasn't (laughs) something you signed up for, you know, (laughs) but I'm a reflection of her, of her mother and her mother's mother and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, it's, I mean, as you were speaking, like, it's so interesting to think about identity, um, the identities that Mm -hmm. we hold, um, the identities that are prescribed for us. I think a Mm -hmm. lot, I think of identity a lot um, through the lens of design, actually, as like kind of prefab Mm -hmm. constructions that we, that were designed before we got here, but not designed with us in mind. And the ways in which we try to like, cut off limbs, squeeze, pull, shove ourselves into these pre-existing design constructs of identity um, and the frustrations, mostly internal, that we have because of the ill fit of them, right? And identity is something that really exists outside of you. Um, You know, I I was speaking with Frank Wilderson, the third, and a couple episodes back, he's considered the father of Afro-pessimism. And we were speaking Mm -hmm. about identity versus interest and identity being something that is really from the outside in, meaning that you can never, what you you perceive as your own self-identification is really your interest in an identity. Identity is something that comes from the outside in, meaning you did not inertly, right, through your own essence and being, say, I am Black, right? That was an identity that came from the outside in, which you then aligned with in whatever way, right? And so this idea of ladylike, for me, Mm -hmm. also sounds like a prefab construction that Mm -hmm. is very surface level, right? It's quite two-dimensional, when in actuality, if you double tap on the ways in which you saw womanhood or ladylikeness exhibited in your life, you're right on track, right? Powerful, strong, 
making space for other people, seeing them, mm-hmm. right? So in many ways, like you you are your own version of ladylike, if that's what we want to say, right? Like, I mean, yeah, obviously yeah. you're Lena, but what mm-hmm. you're really doing is exhibiting the essence of what it means and the ways in which you saw it exhibited in your own life outside of some mm-hmm. stereotypical, image-based um you know, to, you know, well, anyway, I won't get mm-hmm. into that. But speaking no, of images, yes. how, like, so when, you know, this, I love this idea of like the family sitting around watching television, the communal aspect of it. But when did you mm. realize that it was something you could do? Like, I think sometimes we see right. things happening, but you never know that like, it's a career. You know, it's like, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police. I want to be a teacher. But like screenwriter, like, did you have, like, when did you realize that was something you could actually do? Yeah, I think it was really college for me. I think in high school and being young, I just loved I just loved it. I loved, you know, watching movies, watching television. And I think I thought that's what it was. I thought it was just a love for these things. And even when I was in college, I did like this, like a thesis paper about Cosby show in a different world. And the leap to living single in Martin. And how these are four pillars of television, <clears throat> but how obviously both living single and Martin airing on Fox, and obviously these other two being on NBC, you know, which also kind of affected the sort of like where black folks were going. You know, how living single was about these people that chose to live in the same vicinity. It was about chosen families, about a black woman who was had her own magazine, you know, and they were all single. Martin, I think of as coming of age story, even though he's a grown man. He's figuring out how to be a good partner, a good friend, and what his voice is on the radio. So those are things, but then you look at a different world, it's more about, oh, we're all at this HBCU, you know, and we are, and that's and, and we're here, we kind of have to be, and we gotta deal with each other, and but we are a community. Right? And we're sort of a family. Obviously, Cosby Show is a family dynamic. And so I was I was studying and dissecting these things and, and trying to have a better understanding of them. Um, and I was dealing with like colorism on those shows, you know, like kind of talking about like, oh, you know, it was like, it was like, oh, Kimberly Reese has a pregnancy scare. Whitley's character is, is deemed to be a virgin. You know, so there were just some things that I was playing with, even like they weren't trying to be, you know what I'm saying? You know, but I was things I was sort of picking up in, picking up on while I was in college, like just sort of paying attention to certain things. And so then it became about, all right, well, what if you want to do it? How does that look? <laughs> you know, because there's a thing to critique and to examine to a point. And then it was like, oh, now I got to go get in the ring. How do I want to fight? What does that look like? It's not going to always be perfect, but it's going to be coming from a, a different point of view. And my point of view happens to be, you know, what my point of view is. Being queer, being masked, being black, being from Chicago, being identifying, you know, with the gender uh, assigned to me at birth. You know what I'm saying? All those different things. And then also knowing the history of, of these shows. I mean, Susan Fells Hill, who show ran a different world, show ran tw- 20s those first two seasons. Because I ended up meeting Susan Fails through Gina, because Gina, Prince Bythewood, was staffed in a different world. So was Reggie. So Gina, and then I met Yvette Lee Bowser, who hired Gina, who then would go on to do Living Single. And like, you know, it's just, 
it was so, oh, these people that I've studied and looked up to it, like now I'm on the court with them, like, okay. And now it's about, okay, what's my game? How do I want to play it? Because I've studied y'all's game footage for years. You're going to see your influence. You're going to see there, obviously. But then it was about, oh, how do I now push? How do I now do these different things? And so that's what's been so amazing, you know, to be in, in community with Debbie Allen, in community with Susan Felshill, in community with Gina Prince-Bythewood, and them saying, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. Okay, because there's a, there's a queer voice, there's a queer element that isn't that present in those shows. Because <laughs> it didn't need to be. And so what's great is that they're all embracing me and they're saying like, oh, okay, there was something missing from the narrative. And I don't only bring my queerness to it, but I also bring a, a different point of view. Because when you're born in 1984, you're, you're being born into a very different world than say my mom was, who was born in 1953. My mom and I can't help but acknowledge the fact that she was born into a segregated America. My mom, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you know? And so then she has a child in 1984, her second born. The world is very different. The world that I experience is very different. So I think the people got to understand the reason why the Thanksgiving episode works is because I'm not a hero for being a queer black girl and she is not a villain for being a straight black woman. We are mother and daughter born in very different generations. I must have grace for her. We must have grace for those who are not born in the same years as us. My mother had to have grace for her mother who was born in Arkansas in a whole other generation. When you're a writer and you have to write characters, I am not allowed to judge any of them. If I judge a character, I have no business writing their voice. Whether they be a cold-blooded ki killer or a priest, both people are flawed. Both people have parents. Both people have wants, desires, needs, broken. I cannot judge a person. As much as I want, that is my daily practice, is that I have to step into the shoes of this character and completely be one with them. It's the reason why people say like, why, am I, why do I root for this character, Duda? Why am I root for this character, Deshaun, who's this villain, who's killing people, doing all this different stuff? Like, that's also a part of it. It's like, I don't want you to, I want you to always be conflicted about characters. If you're not conflicted, they're not a character yet. Because characters are like people. Like, my names, like, I think about, like, the movies I've done, is like, it's, it's character now. It's Queen and Slim. It's beauty. The next thing I want to do is Sammy. I want to do Sammy Davis Jr. So I want the next thing to be Sammy. These are all character. These are, it's the person. 
And I also think we've gotten into a space now. Um, I'm not going to shade social media. I'm going to make an observation about it. I think social media sometimes thrives on our differences. It can only live on our debates. It is about trying to convince you to see the world in the way I do. I don't, that's not how I live. When you came, we, we got to spend some time in London together. I was just curious about you. I was like asking questions. I know you're talking about asking questions. I was asking you questions. I was like, well, how'd you do this? How'd you work with Kirby? How'd that happen? So what'd y'all work out? Well, how'd, this, how'd you do that? It, I wasn't trying to convince you of anything or tell you like, well, you should see it like I do. You should do it this way. I was just curious about like, how did that happen? How did y'all do that? And then or you'd ask me questions. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I was like, we should just be asking each other questions. Why do you think that way? How did you come there? How'd you come to that conclusion? And then somebody may say, oh, this is how, or this is what I believe. This is how I was raised. Okay, fair. I disagree, but I respect, you know. And some people may say, well, what, we, we shouldn't be agreeing with hurting people. Whatever. No, no, never putting bodily harm or anything like that. But and some people say, but if a person's beliefs, you know, can affect like, you know, me or what, what I'm doing, I understand that. We got to be careful. We don't want people in power to be, you know, to have power over those that they think are less than them. Because that's when shit goes bad. <laughs> but I think as people walking around the world, I just want us to be more curious about each other rather than trying to convince each other to see the world in the same way. Because if we all saw the world in the same way, I think life would be kind of boring. Girl, every time they describe heaven, I'm like, girl, that does not sound interesting. <laughs> like, that just, like, girl, y'all could keep that. Like, all of us on our hands and <laughs> all day, forever. And ever, mm-mm, I'm good. I'm good. Where does, where does where the center section at? <laughs> Curious about each other. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned some things I want to circle back on, and then I want to actually double tap on uh, writing and specifically Queen and Slim because that mm-hmm. is anyway you already know. <laughs> but like, I think when you were when you were speaking about you know writing characters and how one needs to release judgment right in order to write them, it made me think a lot about authoring. Mm-hmm. And even the idea of self-authoring, like in order to do that, you have to let go of judgment, even of yourself, right? Even the yeah. story you're writing for yourself, the life you're creating for yourself requires mm-hmm. the releasing of judging, judging yourself, judging your past, judging what happened, didn't happen, what somebody said to you. Like you like you have to release that and then i think in order for us to be in community as you were saying requires the same right yeah. what does it look like to release judgment and pick up curiosity yes because yes. you might actually learn something right like we only mm-hmm. live our very very specific lives and yes, within yes. each of us are is so much wisdom Mm-hmm. Right about yes, life yes. experience, about you know growing up, about places and environments that we would not have seen. Right, and I think yeah. 
just leaning into your curiosity is um, just so powerful. And speaking of which, I'm going to lean into my curiosity because I, <laughs> I, I finally did watch Queen and Slim. And speaking, speaking of sharing experiences, I actually, my mother also does not watch movies and I sent it to her because what? this is last week because I was so conflicted. Okay. And now my mother and I, have this to share between ourselves because we've been going back and forth and forth and back because this was this was not just a movie this was a thesis mm. right this was an opus <laughs> on black life and living and i think what you know looking through your entire body of work um you know what i see is a pop repopulating a data set of information Mm. right through images through ways of being right because film is so powerful yes television media is so powerful this is this is our theater right like this is this is the reflection of society and how we come to know ourselves and you know if we're speaking to Ava DuVernay she speaks about right this idea of the creation the distribution and the exhibition of information yes. and the ways yep. in which we as a people so often have been on the creation part of it, but rarely do we get to control the distribution or exhibition of that information. That and so the ways in which she's she's really structuring her career and her path, yep. right, to do just Absolutely. that, right? So that the so that the message is not distilled or depleted, right, from any of its potency. But yes. you know, with Queen and Slim, first of all. When I was watching it, I realized why I don't watch movies because I am sensitive as fuck, girl. And I, I was, I had, I was so suspenseful. I was so tense throughout that whole experience. Like I could, like there were times I couldn't watch it. I was like, I'm just gonna listen to this because I can't watch what's happening because I'm, I'm so empathetic, right? Like I. That's why yeah. I can't watch TV because I get so locked in. So, like yeah, I really, yeah. yeah so, so I was just. I was just nervous. I was just like, Lord, this whole time I was, I had to mm -hmm. hit a blunt. Like I was like, I'm just, anyway. But it was so beautiful because what I saw was an artist mm -hmm. speaking to their time. Mm. Yeah. Right? Like the yep. deliberate choices of the characters, the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. Right, Very deliberate. the ways yes, yes, yes. the ways in which that was shot, um, mm -hmm. the lines that were said, right, like the complication. Even I mean, if you're speaking about character, blackness was a character in that movie throughout, right? That was complicated, right? It wasn't yeah. like we couldn't root for it the whole time, right? right? I'm not I'm not here for spoiling anything, but like no, blackness no. was both villain and friend Hero. right throughout yeah. that right it was an undulation between um but double tap i know I'm, i mean i know you've spoken about this probably at nauseum but double mm. tap on that process of bringing this to life i mean i mean personally like i was also well let me stop let me stop lena <laughs> <laughs> Girl, you got me. Girl. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm listening. I'm I, I love the unpacking. Like I love to unpack some shit. But keep going. I know. Look, this is I want to hear from you. This is a. This is. I a mean, look. I was at a party, you know, and James, James Frey, 
came up to me and who I, I was I was aware of who he was, although he wanted to introduce himself. But I was like, no, I know who you are. And he said, yeah, I got this idea for a movie that I can't write. And I was like, okay, what's the idea? He was like, all I have is basically like, you know, a black man, a black woman on a first date. It's going fine. It's not going great. But anyway, they they on their way home from the day and they get pulled over by a police officer. The police officer gets really aggressive and they end up killing him in self-defense and they decide to just keep going. And I was like, you're right. You can't write that as a white man. Um, but that's a very fascinating, like, beginning of something. And at that point, people were kind of curious if I was going to write a feature. Um, because I'm very, you know, I, at that point, I had the Thanksgiving episode had come out. I, I had one in me at that point. Um, if I'm not crazy, if I'm not ma- making that up, but I was, I was a TV girl. Like that was my thing. I love television. I'm always, I'm always going to consider myself to be a television writer first, but some people were curious. So are you going to write a feature? And I was just like, I don't know. It has to be the right thing. But something about when you hear that, that idea that just kind of sticks with you, I said, give me your email. Let's stay connected. And and we did, we stayed connected. We emailed back and forth and he had something, he had like a bit of a light outline. And I said, look, I don't need any of that. I was like, I want to figure out who these people are. There was things he kind of said, he's like, maybe she's a lawyer. I was like, I like that. And then for the guy, I was like, I want him just to like work at a store and be an everyman and blue collar, you know, worker. And from there, I just couldn't stop thinking about these two people. I was like, who are these two people on this date? Like what's going on? And, and, and then I thought to myself, okay, they're going to become heroes. People are going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what we need to be doing right now, even though they were just trying to save their own lives. And so that was also this thing I think about all the time about folklore, about what happens when no one else is there and we create the narrative that we need at the time. So Amelia's character came to mind, like you got this like pro-black black man talking about cop killers. This what we doing? This what we doing? And they're like, what? No, it's like, yeah, y'all. Yeah, we got it on its own tape. You know, I was like, oh, his body cam would be, would be released and that would go viral and people would be like, oh, these guys, they did this because of what, how cops are being toward black folks. Um, and then it was, I wanted to have, the, I wanted them to be opposites. It goes back to scenes. They should be the opposite. So she is not a believer. She is a person that is very strategic. She is a lawyer. She is about facts and figures. He's a person that listens to gospel music when he's scared. He blesses his food. <laughs> You know, before he eats, he doesn't want to bend the world, you know, um, which is also a, a pull from Paris is burning. When Dorian is doing this, like, you know, I may not bend the world. You know, it's, it's like, it's a play on that. It's like, but he's like, I don't feel the need for that. As long as my family loves me and I have them, then that's all I need. And for her, she's like, I want to bend the world. I want to leave my handprint on it. That means more to me than family, per se. I want to change the world, not just exist in it. And of course, he's like, well, what's wrong with just existing in the world? Who needs to change? And that was really something that kind of came up. And then also you have this idea of like Malcolm and Martin, these ideas that they, they have that these sort of Again, talk about folklore, how media has tried to tell us who they were. But then in reading and understanding, we're trying to have a, a better sense of who they actually were. You know, like media is like, one's bad, one's good. 
And it's like, oh no, they were both men trying their best to do what was right for them and for us. And so, and also what we find by the, what's interesting about the end of both of their lives, they sort of had these revelations before leaving the earth. And so what I wanted too was for these, for Queen and Slim to have revelations. And they kind of switched places is that by spending that time together, he realized maybe we can't change the world. Let's take our picture. Let's take the picture. And, and by the end of it, when they're at the table with the couple who takes them in, she leads them in prayer. And, and then being under the bed and, and under the boards and hiding and running and, and it's interesting because Thelma and Louise was very much an inspiration, you know, just like Set It Off was very much inspired. And so, but in, but in Set It Off and in Thelma and Louise, they have something in common because I was watching those movies again and again. I also watched Bonnie and Clyde, but not as much as Set It Off and, and Thelma and Louise. But there is an empathetic cop hunting them. Tarby Cottel and Thelma and Louise. It's obviously the, 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 the white gentleman and the black woman cop and set it off, sort of hunting, trying to catch them. That helps you with time. So you have someone to cut away from. For me, what I told, I was like, I don't want that sympathetic cop. You will not have that person to cut away to who's gaining on them. And I think it kind of made me a little unsettled because you're sort of like, oh, I'm just with them the whole time. It's like, yeah, you know, it takes a while before we cut away. Um, and so it was like, oh, we have to really, you're going to, there's going to be these pacing. And also like when they change clothes, like when they, when they, when he steps into that, that velour suit and she's got the, the, the dress on, like they change, they're, they're not, they transform. And so now they're on this journey and they transform again, you know, when they think they're like, okay, they're going to go, they're going to finally get there. And they're like, she's like letting the, the, the air hit her face. She's on freedom. He does it too. She's like, come on, do it. He's like, what? I'm not going to do that. And they do it, you know, and it's always interesting, you know, because the ending generated a lot of conversation so much. So I had to go back and, you know, read what Baldwin said about raising the sun. You know, he, he did a beautiful essay called Sweet Lorraine, in which he talks about how raising the sun was very much debated by, by black folks. They were like, does this represent us? Well, the first black person to have a play on Broadway, the youngest playwright, who would, would then uh, Jordan Cooper, who I, I was a producer on his uh, play, Ain't No Mo, is now has since become the youngest. He was younger than Lorraine when he, when he got his play up on Broadway. But I, I sort of found that when you, you're doing something that is a little different, is sort of taken from classics, but doing your own spin on it, again, you're going to be rooted against and sometimes by those that look like you. But it, what, what it was, it was a blessing. It was a, it was my calling because I realized, oh, it's like my guy James says, you don't make movies, you make trouble. You don't make art, you make trouble. And this was, Queen and Slim is before the, the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And so it was, it was me sort of saying, why do we 
learn certain black folks' names because a cop killed them. And that was why it was like, after they're killed, then we'll, we'll reveal their names. And I'm sorry, the spoiler, but that was important because it was like, we're learning people's names, their hashtags, their murals, their faces are on t-shirts. It was becoming so every day. And I wanted to speak to, yes, the humanity, but also our immortality. Yeah, I don't believe we ever really die. We just transform. Look, I mean, it, it's interesting. What I really was saying is that these, these people really will live forever. And that was, that was really the choice. It was that they changed, they transformed. And oftentimes it was also a statement on the fact that sometimes when you have a revelation, that's usually when you get, you transform. Yeah, I mean, I've actually made a double tap on that. Like, like what is your belief around that transformation, right? Like a spiritual uh, framework that informs mm. your existence. I mean, I think it's interesting because in, in our church, now I'm sure we're not alone in this, uh, coming up in Christ Universal Temple, we would always say, well, especially when they would read announcements if certain members of the church had, had passed, they would say, has mm. made their transition. So-and-so has made, made their transition. So I think I was also raised to not even believe in death. So for me, it was not like, I don't know if it was saying like black trauma or profiting off of that. No, it was really about speaking that in my, in my, the way I was raised, when someone passes, we speak their name so much as if they are still here. And, and that's what I feel like we as black folks in particular do. We put ourselves on the, on, like, I can't, I live in Los Angeles. I can't go two blocks without seeing, you know, Kobe Bryant, Nipsey Hussle. Like, to me, they're still very much alive because we will not let their memories fade. Same thing with George Floyd, Brown Taylor. We, we say their names so much. We say their names. That is, that is how we keep our ancestors here. So I'm not, I'm not phased by a person leaving in body. This is a temporary house. And I think that is also in the work. It's, it's like we can't, death is not the end, but rather a new beginning. Mm-hmm. Girl, you got to be about, I'm about to sing a hymn. Look, no. <laughs> I'm just, I don't see it that way. It's like, like there's a leak in this old building look, and my soul can. has got to move. Come uh, on. <laughs> um, you know, I, 
you know, to kind of tie this, you know, with the Queen and Slim, like, one thing that I will say, like, I mean, the imagery is stayed in my mind. I cannot get rid of it. Like that scene of her uncle in the living room with his yeah. harem and Shout India's out to in Mets there. Shout, Shout out yeah. to our Shout out to everybody. Like, they brought that script to life. I was with Shiona and Melina last night. Yeah. We are, you know, we're like the sisters at this point, all three of us, you know. But because it was also all our first film. Melina's wow. director. She right. owned the first costume designer on the film. Obviously, my first feature, my first screenplay. Um, three black women. <laughs> and ain't none of us ladylike, please. But um, <laughs> but we we really, and also Melina really diving in with the music. There was some music things written into it. Like the Luther was in there. A couple other things were in there. But, you know, Melina is such a great ear and such a great aesthetic and such great taste and obviously so does Shiona. And so, and, and everyone, everyone, I don't, I don't want to leave anyone out, but it took a village to make that movie. And Daniel Kaluuya cast himself. Daniel Kaluuya cast himself. I will always give him credit. Uh, he and I were having dinner. He and I met at an early screening, a tastemaker screening for Get Out. So I, I was very blessed to see it before it came out. And so imagine me walking around, having seen Get Out for like two weeks and like, ah, like y'all are about to be messed up. So we, I, afterwards I said to him, I was like, You're, everything's about to change for you, man. This movie is incredible. And he was like, well, I love your work and I know who you are and we know you in London. I was like, oh man, oh my gosh. Um, and and he, we just connected. Again, we exchanged information, stay connected. And then he was like, yo, I'm gonna be in LA if you wanna have dinner. And he really was just asking to have dinner. He was like, I wanna just, you know, break bread. I was like, okay. Nothing really around it. Like I said, same thing with you and I. I was like, nothing really around it. And so we were talking and he was like, what are you working on? And I was like, I was working on Queen of Slim at the time. So I was like, I'm working on this movie. And like, it, I had finished the script, you know, but it wasn't like ready, ready yet. It was still rough. But I was like, I got this thing about this black woman, black man on the first date, kill a cop, self-defense, going to run. He was like, I want to read that. Can I read it? And I was like, sure. I was like, but it's early. And, you know, he's like, it's okay. I just want to read it as an artist. I'm not trying to, you know, judge it or whatever. I was like, okay. And I was like, I trust him. I was like, I trust you. We're going to, you know, we're very close to the day. Like, so, so I was like, I trust you. So he read it and then he emailed me and the, and the subject line, if he was here, he would just be nodding. The subject line was like, I am slim. He was like, I am slim. And I was like, very flattered by that. But also very nervous because I thought because I Melina hadn't read it yet, but I knew I needed Melina to direct it. So I was like, "Look, man, that is very flattering and amazing." I literally sent an email back saying something like this, and I was like, "But I really want Melina Matsukas to direct it, and she hasn't read it yet. I uh, I hope that when she reads it, she wants to direct it, and when that happens, the conversation about who Slim will be will be a, a joint one." So. He's like, okay, I'll wait. And sure enough, he did. He was very patient. It took a little while. It was some months. And so finally, Melina read it and she gave me the call. She was like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, yes. Now, guess what? Daniel Kaluuya wants to be slim. And she was like, what? Really? She's like, he, really? Is he slim? And I was like, I did the same thing, but now I can't get it out of my head. I can't see anybody else. So I was like, just meet with him. She was like, I'll meet with him. Sure. But I don't know. And so she met with him and I was like, my heart was beating and I was like waiting. And, uh, and then like hours later, I get a call from her that's like, I hope you still like him because I offered him the part at lunch. I was like, great, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, 
it was like three the hard way. And that's when we, and so the movie kind of, it's so crazy because in Hollywood, it's not how it works. People write a script and they go out to the town and they try to find who's the director, who should be in it. But because Daniel read it just on some friendly shit and loved it. And then Lena, who I knew I wanted to direct it, saw it. She's like, yes, I get it. And so it was, a. It, I literally packaged my own movie. So it was like my feature, my first feature script, Melina and Daniel Kaluuya. And then I was like, oh, dope. We can break someone with Queen. And Jody, 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 because Carmen Cuba, who I also want to shout out, was our amazing casting director who cast The Shy. She cast Beauty. She cast Queen of Slim for me. She's like amazing. Carmen Cuba, phenomenal casting director. She, Jody was in the first batch of people she sent us. And so after we saw Jody, me and Melina were like, I mean, if somebody could beat her, great. But good luck to everyone. You're not going to do that. You know, I just recently, like, Jody and I were texting. She was trying to get me to go to a party. I was like, I can't. Jody can always be up way later than me. But, um, but yeah, and it just, it was, it was, talk about God ordained, ordered steps. Um, and I remember Carmen took that first picture of the two of them at their the first time Daniel and Jody read together. And it was just like, just with her phone. And it was like my screensaver for like, for that whole year. I was just like, there they are. That's Queen and Slim. And, and it just sort of, and the rollout, the marketing, the exhibition, that was all. Me and Melina sat at that big table at Universal. Like, we know how to tell people about this movie. And the only thing I think if we did anything that, I don't want to say wrong, but I think folks were like, oh, this is going to be, we're going to get a win at the end. And I think people didn't think of it as like, this is a, a hero's journey, for sure. But not every hero's journey has a happy ending. And I think for us, I think especially coming off of Get Out and things like that, where you got the win, even though there's an alternate ending and folks want to go look at it, which is a much colder ending. They decide to give the audience the win. And looking at movies for me growing up, watching Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, Do the Right Thing, Set It Off. I think I was more in the school of what's an honest ending here. Um, and, and, and that was really the thing is like, sometimes you have to make creative choices that everybody may not agree with. Um, but that's what makes you a creative. Yeah. I don't make art by committee. Lena, I'm so mad. Girl, we're going to have to bring you back on because we're almost out of time and I'm I so know. upset with myself. Look, well, I'll do a part two with you. Uh, okay, okay. We have to do a part two, but I, I was do, do a want part two. to. I want to pull it just really quick up to like the present. Also, Go just ahead. shout out to like that fierce ass, nasty ass Romeo and Juliet reference to the. I was like, ah! I was, it was giving like, oh. Anyway, sorry. You just yes. got me. So, come on. Hillman Grad Productions. This is what I really wanted to get to. And this pro- this will probably lead us into like the part two, but I just want to like, sure. bring this up because it's not just in the creation, right? It's not just in talent, right? Like what you have created and what you are creating is this entire movement, right? Like this is a multi, multi-valved, incredible machine, right? Yeah, that is... Well, yeah, yes. Um, I mean, there's obviously a whole, there's a whole team, but like you're, yeah. you're moving, you know, there's film, there's podcasts, there's media, um, you know, even product, right? Like, could you talk to us a little bit about why, where Hillman grad came from and like that desire mm-hmm. to, to move in this specific way, because not even all production houses or production companies, right? Operate in this right. form. 
Correct. Yeah, and that's when we sort of transformed into Hillman Grab Ventures. We're now, you know, Hillman Grab Ventures, which is really exciting. Um, which means we're still making, we're producing things. We're still in our productions, obviously. But, you know, we're saying ventures is because we have expanded. We have grown. We have yeah. transformed it. Um, you know, but Hillman Grad sort of began, was established in 2015. Uh, so we're still young. We're still, I feel like, in our, really sort of still in our young youth infancy. But we are, we're kind of coming to our adolescence, I'll say. You know, we, we, we started off, I would say we're, we're, we're there. Um, but... You know, Hillman grad, obviously inspired by a different world for those that don't know. Uh, they went to Hillman College and, and that, that is something that I loved. And I just also just, I don't know, I just always loved that name. And, and it just made sense, you know, it used to be my, my handle when I was on social and stuff. And then when I was on a show, my team was like, yo, you got to make it your name, your actual name. And so when it came to my production company, I was like, oh, let's call that Hillman grad. And it's just really stuck and it's really worked. And, and people can feel like, yeah, I'm a part of Hillman grad. And that was the thing because I want people to feel like they were a part of something. And, uh, and I get to be a part of it. I don't even think of myself as the leader of it. I like to just sort of be in the space with all these amazing people. But I think um, I was inspired by Harpo Productions, obviously, and MTM Productions, these women with who had shows, but they were also produced by their own production company. And so that was really important to me. So obviously The Shy and 20s and Queen and Slim uh, and Beauty coming out of Helm and Grab Productions. But what was exciting to me was about pushing forth new voices uh, like Rada Blank, you know, with 40-year-old version, which uh, spelled B-E-R-S-I-O-N, uh, if you want to look it up on Netflix. Uh, you know, and Rada became the second Black woman to win Best Director at Sundance, only second to Ava DuVernay. So talk about a historic moment. And I was honored to, to invest in that movie. I invested some of my own money into that movie, which was also really important for me uh, in my journey, in my growing, wanting to say, hey, I'm going to pass some skin in the game. I'm going to put some money into this film. And also, I think for Rada, who's a friend, it made her go, oh, so you really believe in me. Okay, got it. <laughs> you know, you got it. Um, but I, I did and I do. And, and I think that movie really helped to establish where a movie in black and white, you know, called the 40 year old version, starring, writing, directing, you know, Rada Blank. And then she got nominated for a BAFTA for her performance. Um, so what it did was it wasn't like, oh, because everybody in the town didn't know what to do with her or what that was. And, and then, of course, Netflix came and bought it for twice what we spent on it at Sundance. And it was a, a big hit. And, and she obviously won Best Director. And, and so people kind of went. Hmm, okay, maybe you maybe maybe you do know what you're talking about, but it was really just me trusting God. That's really what it was. I don't deserve credit for trusting, you know, uh, some someone that is always trustworthy. You know, I, I can that's the spirit I can always lean in, lean on. So, and then from there, it really just sort of got cracking because the town was starting to pay attention. And then the next thing we did was a thousand and one. Um, which also went to Sundance and we won the grand jury prize there and Tiana Taylor is in the conversation for Oscars for best lead actress and, and, and we could not be more elated. Um, and then also doing documentary, Being Mary Tyler Moore, uh, which is on Max, which we are very honored to be nominated for an Emmy. Uh, and that is a wonderful year for documentaries for us to be included and acknowledged is truly a gift. I think some people think, oh, well, you got it, Emmy. Still, being nominated is, again is still very exciting and it's for, for a completely different category, you know? Um, so I think what we're doing is really just trying to expand. I mean, we're trying to dip into 
so many different spaces. Theater, you know, with Ain't No Mo coming out. We were only we got shut down early and still walked away with six Tony nominations. And um, I could not be more proud to then to be a part of that. Jordan Cooper is the moment and he is also the future. So I'm honored to stand alongside him. And there's just so many exciting folks that, you know, I'm glad I get to work with everybody on the shy. We're going in our sixth season. In our sixth uh, season premiere, it was the highest rated premiere of the course of the series. Our sixth season. For people to still be invested and to still be showing up and to still want more of these stories is is really exciting. And, you know, we we just, we really have so much that we still want to do. Like I said, the Sammy Davis Jr. movie, which I'm making some calls on today because I cannot leave this earth until I tell his story. I know that it's my purpose. And um, I think I may have to get in it even more than I thought I was going to have to, to make it happen. But Sammy is very much a blueprint and an architect and a bridge. He is a bridge. I always say, like, I want to be a bridge. And what I also know is that when you walk across a bridge to go from one side to another, you don't often look back and say thank you. Bridges aren't really built to be thanked. They are there to be useful. And with Hillman Grad Foundation, the Hillman Grad Mentorship Lab, which is our pride and joy, uh, where we, we're in our third year of it right now, I believe, yes. And so we're also doing something with Rising Voices Indeed, where we help like 10 directors get 100K to do short films and kind of get them out into the world. And with Hillman Grad Mentorship Lab, where we have people on the exec track, writing track and TV, obviously, and acting as well. And we have wonderful instructors and teachers. And this is such a great group this year. And I meet with them once a month and just answer questions and talk to them. And they meet with their uh, instructors every Saturday. And it's a long one, man. It's, they don't pay anything. It's they apply and, and it goes until the end of the year. And then we have showcases and we try to plug them into different places. And sometimes we plug them in with us. Sometimes they get plugged in elsewhere. But yeah, I think I love doing the work that I do. Um, and I hope to really just, my goal is to get a big old pile of money and just invest in people's pr projects and their work. That really is what I want to do. Living well is cool, but investing in people's dreams is even cooler. And that's really what I'm in the business of doing. So that's why for me, I know that when you are pouring water on seeds, you're going to get the, the naysayers and stuff like that. That's, that's going to come. When you're doing good, people will root against. When you're doing good, people will root against. Do not worry about those that are rooting against. Just continue to plant the seeds and continue to water and be patient and the harvest will come. Well, you know what? That is a beautiful place to wrap up for today because today. there's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole other this one. I actually want to get into the mechanics because there's some, there's some technical witchery you over there doing and I want to get into it. But before I yeah. ask my last question, Lena, mm -hmm. First of all, I just want to say how grateful I am. Um, one, that you agreed to come here and be in conversation with us. Um, but Thank also you. just how grateful I am uh, to be alive when you're alive. Mm. I'm grateful because, to be alive when you're alive too. Because I know, there's no doubt in my mind, that we we are so lucky to be able to witness you at this point. And mm. this is like a long arc. Um, mm. And also just want to thank you for pouring the water on the seeds, right? Like lifting as you climb, being yeah. as ladylike as you know how to be. 
you know, yes. being strong, uplifting, seeing people, you know, and being so generous, not only with your time, not only with your talent, not only with your skill, but just with yourself. And I'm really excited to see how Hillman grad, the place that it takes, right, in the cultural conversation, but also the long arc of, of yes. liberation, liberation of ideas, liberation of liberation of how we understand ourselves and the world for so long that has been a very narrow band of humanity that's got to define what it means to be human yes and you were doing something that that i like to say queering the lens right yeah you are you are saying like no no no, no, Black women can exist like this and, you know, queer folk can exist like this, right? And not only can they exist like this, they exist. Yes, yes. And so for that and that work, I am so completely indebted um, mm. and grateful because not only are you allowing my mother and I to have experiences together, but you're creating an entire territory of individuals who have the ability to share um, their childhoods with those that love them. So I just want to acknowledge you and mm. thank you for that. Um, thank you. So thank you. Of course. My last question is: yes. If you had everything at your behest, which girl, it sounds like you do. Um, what is the <laughs> What is the world you imagine for the future? Ooh, ooh. You know, this is the world I imagine. This is also the world I'm looking forward to. Because I do think it's possible. I'm looking forward to the world where we're on our phones less. We are present in our lives more. We are, we have more empathy. And we do not allow our identities to divide us as much more. I think, and also there sometimes can be a safety and a comfort in sort of saying, this is my group over here. I don't need to interact with other groups. Or being in this group means I'm against this group. And I think all of it will be, the lines will be blurred. Families will be blended. The group you don't get along with, your kid will fall in love with. You know, or will marry into. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes us having to be forced to have dinner with each other. <laughs> to have to talk to each other. And a lot of it will be because of the youth. The youth will guide us. Because the youth right now, I mean, I have a lot of friends. I'm sure you have this age too, like your, your friends are having kids and stuff. And um, I'm not there yet, but it's really kind of fun to see my friends like be parents and stuff now, like people I came up with. But what I think about when I'm around their kids and like, you know, kind of like getting to know their kids a little bit is that when they are our age, they will be running this world in a very different way. And so I'm excited 
to see. But I'm also excited about the pendulum swinging back in terms of analog, like people sort of saying, oh, I'm leaving my phone, I'm going on a silent retreat, or I'm doing this, or I'm, you know, or I'm only people getting like actual cameras rather than finding out. Like last night, I was like, I don't really want to take, I took like maybe a couple images, but with my phone, but I had a disposable, I had this camera, you know? And so it was like, but I'm not alone in that. A lot of people are saying like, a lot of people are drinking less. A lot of people are like, I'm not drinking alcohol as much. Because I've never, I didn't, I never drank alcohol. But, so maybe that's why I'm noticing that more because more people are like, oh, I'm not drinking either. Or, I'm not, I'm with you. I'm like off. So I'm like, oh, okay, all right. You know, and I don't have a, a very interesting reason as to why I don't. I just, I don't drink alcohol. It's something I don't do. I know it's sometimes surprising to people. Uh, but, but I'm finding that there's a new wave of people saying like, you know what? I'm gonna drink less. People may smoke weed more, but they're like, I'm not drinking alcohol. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Or people quitting cigarettes. It's like, there's this desire to like, how can I live my best life? You know? And it's not even about soft life anymore. That kind of came and went a bit of a fad. It's more about your more purposeful life. What does that look like? Um, And so I think that is what I'm excited to see is people living for being in a society in which people are so busy trying to find their purpose and their peace that we actually all, there's a little bit more harmony in the world. Amen. Here's to purpose and peace. Um, Okay. Well, sister, thank you. I'm going to stop recording. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Ooh, I'm over here sweating. Y'all, Lena and I are already planning part two. We didn't even get close to answering this list of questions. But, you know, that's how we do. Let us know your thoughts on today's conversation over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination. And if you can, leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and be sure to check out this conversation and others at blackimagination.org. Want to pose some questions to Lena for round two? Well, you might want to subscribe to the newsletter. That's where the insiders reside. The link is down in the show notes. You know, growth happens at the edge of what we think we know. At the edge of identity. Drop the boundaries. Let go and expand. Until next time, stay curious and keep dreaming. Dreaming.